this episode of China Unscripted. As the CCP tightens its grip on Hong Kong, investors flee with their money. Is the old Hong Kong dead? Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesta. And joining us today is Ed Chin, a Hong Kong activist, hedge fund manager, and founder of the 2047 Hong Kong Monitor. Ed, thanks again for joining us on China Unscripted. Well, it has been more than two and a half years. It's good to see you all. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, yeah. yeah it does seem like we were, like, the last time we saw you in person was in Hong Kong in September 2019. Right. Um, which, because of the pandemic, I feel like was just a couple months ago. But, but it was <laughs> much, much longer, and yeah. a lot of things have changed a since then. A lot of things have changed since we, we last had you on. Yeah. Uh, I, guess, I guess a big one is that you are no longer in Hong Kong. Do you want to tell right. us a bit about that? Correct. Yeah. Lot, last time I remember, we did um, two episodes um, for China Uncensored in my office. And now um, it's, um, I, I left actually last year after Apple Daily was uh, shut down on the 24th of June. And then my English editor got arrested at the airport on June 26th. So within 48 hours, I, I decided it's about time to, to leave temporarily. So I left on June 28th. Were you kind of holding your breath when you were at the airport? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't think I've done anything wrong. I mean, I'm a strong uh, defender, put it this way, as you all know, in the genuine one country, two systems. So when I say genuine, uh, I also always attack the fake one as you can buy two Rolexes with uh, $10 US at um, in Flushing, New York on Canal Street, right? So this is not the real deal. Uh, but I don't know. Are, are you saying my Rolex is fake? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm saying they, they, they have to know what is the genuine one country, two systems versus, you know, the one that they, they claim they are still having, which is not true. Do they even bother saying they have one country, two systems anymore? Or have they just completely just stopped talking about that? Some still do, like in, to commemorate some important events, but I don't think a lot of people talk about it anymore. But for Hong Kongers, they want the Deng Xiaoping model, honestly, even though he did something very terrible uh, during Tiananmen. But um, the hatred is not the same as like what we have now. I mean, comparing with a Deng. So. And, and by the, the Deng Xiaoping model, you mean like letting some cities be special economic zones or, or what exactly? Some, yeah. I mean, after the Tiananmen massacre, and it's recorded by the Red Cross that more than 3,000 people were killed, I guess the quickest way is to uh, rebuild confidence from the Western world. It's uh, to develop all these special economic zones. And yeah, you, you mentioned uh, the coastal cities with Hong Kong and Macau being really special because of the linkage with the British and also with Portugal. But then... Yeah, it's it's different now. It's it's an extreme makeover. Well, hey, Elon Musk wants Taiwan to be a special economic zone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. he he thought that could probably get a better deal, better than deal Hong, than Hong Kong. Maybe they could have the real one country, two systems. Maybe the CCP will honor that one country, two systems model. Maybe who knows. <laughs> You had something, Shelley? Oh, Ed, I was going to say, so you, you talked about your editor at the Apple Daily getting arrested. So everything that's happening with Apple Daily probably feels like pretty, hits pretty home, uh, close to home for you, huh? Oh, yeah. I, I have been, um, I've known Jimmy, um, uh, Mr. Lai since uh, the early 90s, so more than 
30 years. And then uh, he started first with a Knicks magazine. And then 95, he started Apple Daily. And the the management and the editorial team, I, I know them um, yeah, um, for a long time. And then it, it's just more than surreal to see all seven of them, including uh, Mr. Jimmy Lai being detained. And of course, Mr. Lai is uh, now serving prison sentences, not not the national security um, alleged uh, crime that he had, but on illegal assembly by commemorating the candlelight vigil for Tiananmen and also some so-called commercial crime. It's like you rent an office, like a, they, they have this Apple Daily compound and then they use one office to do accounting, secretarial work, and they say it's not the, the usage that you report and then they jail him the sentence was like five years and nine months. It's unheard of. You know, usually it's just a fine or something. And most people don't care. Usually, like if you are like having like WeWorks, you have multiple businesses, right? When you have um, a business. So it's like, uh, it's it's just, um, they want to detain Mr. Jimmy Lai for um, in, indefinitely, the way I look at it. They look at him as more like a public enemy, number one, which is very sad. Yeah, even the national security advisor for the U.S., um, Jake Sullivan, recently said what happened to Jimmy Lai was basically like a, a violation of Hong Kong's basic law. Like it was clearly them trying to find a way to imprison him and keep him in prison. So it's also pretty significant that the U.S. would come out and say something that um, that straight up about what's happening in Hong Kong. It's like they figured out how to use the law as a tool to go after the people that the Communist Party wants to go after. Like there's, it's not like the law rules the land, right? It's just, it's just like a weapon in the hands of the CCP now. Yeah, I, and I don't, I don't think he, he can come out alive. I mean, this is like six years already. Like if he is now 75, so five years, nine months of uh, this uh, commercial, so to speak, um, uh, wrongdoing that he has, plus the illegal assembly. So he'll be 81. And then the NSL trial only started, um, they keep postponing, uh, will be next year in September, right? So it could be another 20 years or life sentence, right? So he just doesn't want him to come out alive. I've even heard some rumors there. They're talking about putting him on trial in mainland China. I don't know if you've heard any updates on that. Well, the, you know, member of the um, National People Congress Standing Committee, uh, there is a guy named Tom Yu Chong. Uh, probably you you mentioned it in your other episodes too. But he he well, I, I find you know they like to be very left and very extreme when they say things just to please Beijing. I mean these are like the the Hong Kong puppets. They like to use the most extreme, uh, most scary words. I mean I mean this is really like ruled by fear, and it's scaring a lot of businesses away from Hong Kong because of the the. Their speech, you know, like they they don't go through the thinking process before they say something. So it, it sounds like more like um, a cultural revolution of sorts. Uh, but this is twenty twenty two version. Hmm. Why do you think they're going after Jimmy Lai in particular so hard? Because first of all, um, this was the the only free pro democracy newspaper back then, and then. It has been in existence for more than 27 years since um, 95. And then, and then 
honestly, the way I look at uh, Jimmy is that um, with Jimmy, Cardinal Zhang, uh, Martin Lee, and um, Anson Chen, who won't like to speak up anymore because she she already passed 80. So she decided uh, to step up from politics. Now, these four, plus, you know, some, some of the so-called uh, loyalists who died, some of them, they really like Hong Kong and they really believe in the two systems model when it was first drafted uh, in 1984. But then, of course, there was when Deng Xiaoping uh, and, um, um, was alive. And then after Tiananmen, people were looking at the, <clears throat> when Hong Kong become really like a financial center, there could be rule of law and then there could be using common law as a standard. But now this national security law is superimposed into the Appendix 3 of the basic law. So in other words, it is saying that the NSL, the national security law, is above all laws. And then Xi Jinping talked about you know, the judiciary, administrative and legislative, these three pillars, they should work hand in hand instead of being independent. So we see, you know, like in Hong Kong now, all these NSL uh, handpicked judges. I mean, they, they don't really have the merit and then they have to follow the orders from Beijing. And then the worst of all is that um, for Mr. Lai and also for the 47 who will be going on trial too, there is no jury. So it's just based on uh, three NSL handpicked judges ultimately by Beijing to decide the fate of where they will be sentenced. And most of these, as we all know, that if they are tried in uh, so-called the Chinese, well, put it this way, the court system with Chinese characteristics, 99.999% of the time they will be indicted for whatever the authority says. So that that's the, the thing that's so so horrible. I am curious about that because we reported recently on the Hong Kong activist who actually had a charge against her dismissed for... That wasn't a national security law charge, though. Yeah, but it still was surprising that it was about commemorating the Tiananmen Square massacre. And it seemed like this was a ruling that was not 100% in line with what Beijing you would think would want. Yeah, that's about... the lower court, though. That's the lower court. And then mm. the, the, um, the DOJ, Department of Justice, which is like the prosecutor in the U.S., they would say, you know, I um, I don't like the, the verdict, and then they will go to a higher court. You know, uh, this is the same thing with uh, uh, Jimmy Lai. He was trying to get um, a, a King's Counsel, uh, Tim Owen, coming in to be his uh, defense lawyer. But then it has gone through like four different levels of the, the court until it reaches the, um, the court of final appeal. Uh, and then the verdict was that, uh, yes, Ms. Lai could get uh, Tim Owen to represent him. But then, um, and then this um, NPCSC people say, hey, we want an interpretation from, from Beijing to see whether this is uh, something that, that could be done. So that's why we had uh, this postponement. It was supposed to be December 1st for the, the trial to start it. And now it's postponed till September of next year. They want the NPCSC to interpret the, the basic law and also the NSL under the Appendix 3, which is a very sad story. I guess I don't really understand what the problem the Hong Kong government had with Jimmy Lai getting a British lawyer to defend him was. Like, what was Hong the Hong Kong government's objection to this? Because 
you know, if the NSL court is already three handpicked NSL judges, if they don't have to convince a jury, like pretty much um, no matter how good Jimmy Lai's lawyer is, like they have to, you know, like the ultimate verdict will be from these three people um, who are probably going to rule against him. Why couldn't he have a British lawyer? I agree with you, Shelley. I mean, the the false pretense would look even better for them, right? If they let uh, Tim Owen, this uh, King's counsel, to to come in, but then you know the I think right now the the pro Beijing uh, loyalists in Hong Kong, whether it's um, from the government or from the legislative branches, they don't think clearly. They just think you know to act very extreme, um, they will score brownie points. You know, like according um, to their so-called narrow thinking, and then they think uh, that would please uh, Xi Jinping or, you know, the uh, well, broadly speaking, this would please Beijing, but it's not the case. It, like, is the record of the trial public and are journalists allowed? Because what if the what if Jimmy Lai's lawyers makes really really good points, right? That kind of undermine. Uh, what the judges are trying to do. I mean, I guess that could be, it's not that the judges won't overrule him, but simply that it'll be embarrassing. Well, I haven't, I, I think like anyone with any logical thinking would think that, that they have to let um, people report, right? Uh, for instance, the the Alliance group, which is the group that commemorate uh, June 4th, we mentioned about Hang Tong Chow or Chow Hang Tong, now, um, uh, Shelley, you mentioned that uh, she won the the case, but it's not really the case um, of um, the. Uh, there were a few cases <clears throat> with um, Hang Tong Chow, Albert Ho, and Lee Chuck Yen. <clears throat> uh, they were alleged to be in violation of um, uh, the NSL. That that's a sedition and secession. That's even you know a bigger crime. So the lower court usually, even if they say, hey. Um, she is not guilty. And when this uh, NSL uh, main trial happened, I have a strong doubt that uh, they could escape um, even more punishment. But I, I don't know, like, uh, Matt, your, your your point is whether they could report. Uh, I Like, it, logically, I would think so. I mean, if otherwise, it would look like a kangaroo court 110%, right? <laughs> So now it only looks like a kangaroo court, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm curious, Ed, as you as you know, you're, you're a hedge fund manager. Uh, we talk a lot about how the national security law has obviously changed the civil society of Hong Kong. I'm curious how you've seen that change, sort of the economic realm of Hong Kong, because Hong Kong was a very economically unique city in Asia, especially for China. What's changed since the national security law? I think after the um, the twentieth uh, planetary session um, in in Beijing, uh, with um, uh, Xi Jinping getting all the power and with um, uh, Jiang Zemin's uh, death and everything, um, some people say um, it's um, he will get words for Xi Jinping. But another thinking is now all the enemies now it's uh, eliminated, so to speak. Um, he should not have a that much of a tighter grip for Hong Kong because they use Hong Kong as a place for um, washing the money. Definitely. Uh, you know, all these um, 
Russian uh, oligarchs, you know, the the yachts are parked in, in Hong Kong. And, um, um, you know, a, a lot of things, you know, like in Hong Kong is different from when we were there. Or I should say when you were there. I, I left only la- last year, a year and a half ago. But, you know, people in general, they are not happy because suddenly, even now that uh, they they have this um, almost close to like a zero plus zero COVID policy, every single day they still block off a certain area and then they say, hey, we want to get these uh, PCR tests. So it, it's a way to to tell people that the those in power, they are in control. And it's not really the PCR test, honestly, I think they want to do. Uh, and then it hurts businesses. And then, you know, you, you have been to Lan Kui Fong, um, all four of us. Now it's dead right now. Uh, and then the the thing that's bad about about um, the whole thing, it's a next media is a publicly listed company. And then in less than 12 months, they raided the place two times with uh, over a few hundred uh, policemen. And then they basically, they let the next media stock stop trading. And of course, over 90% of the stock is owned by uh, Mr. Lai himself, but then it's not um, fair to the smaller investors. So if I were trying to get uh, go for an IPO or get you know a shell company and have my company uh, relisted, I would think twice whether I want to do it in Hong Kong because there is no there is no safety. Even though they claim there is a basic law, they're using common law and everything. And um, you could see people are really, really crazy, and then it's run by a policeman uh, who said that uh, since he was a child, he read Runway Bao and then Tai Kung Bao, these pro-communist propaganda newspaper in Hong Kong. Um, so. If he said that, that means that uh, when he was still getting his salary under the British rule, he still read these uh, very leftist uh, newspaper to brainwash himself. So what a disgrace. So uh, when we were in um, in Hong Kong three years ago, well, we went to one of your uh, seminars, I remember, and you were talking about, like you were basically talking to other investors about how to move their money out of Hong Kong and that they, they should be starting to move their money from Hong Kong banks to foreign banks. Is that process happening now? Is it, is it accelerating? Is it harder to do? Oh, I, I, would, I would say um, it's not just me saying it. It's because everyone is asking about how to do it, right? You know, the, the, the global banking uh, system in Hong Kong is still intact, first of all, because they, they need Hong Kong uh, to um, to have the so-called money movement. But then, you know, um, I give a very good example. Um, this is like a, a, a friend, but also more from the pro- pro-establishment side, meaning that they are more claim to, to, uh, to Beijing. So in businesses, you will run into people, you still call so-called friends. But even though we, we a lot of things, we don't see eye to eye. This is how he told me, deep down from the bottom of his heart, because um, he also got a foreign passport, and he said that um, based on his uh, uh, net worth, if let's say this guy got hundred million Hong Kong, so it's like twelve million US, only five to seven percent remained in Hong Kong. 
So what does that mean? 5% is 5 million Hong Kong, 7% is 7 million Hong Kong, which is less than 1 million, right? So that means almost all of the assets are located overseas, whether uh, it be buying real estate and also just sitting cash outside of Hong Kong, whether it's sitting in, let's say, an offshore account in Canada uh, or Singapore. So they don't really have the confidence in, in Hong Kong. So with five to seven million Hong Kong, which is like less than one million US, what can he do? Now, I won't tell you in great detail, but this guy is like older than me. So assuming he has um, got, still got 30 more years to live, and if, if he still likes Hong Kong that much, he could rent, you know, using his five to seven percent of his net worth. But boy, the guy doesn't believe in the system anymore because um, anything could be like a, a, an alleged violation of the NSL and even the pro Beijing business people. They they are concerned. This is how bad after the implementation, after the enactment um, in end of June 2020, because they, this is let's, a misuse and abuse of uh, the power when they say, hey, this person might be in violation of the NSL and then they confiscate your your passport. And even um, I can tell the three of you, uh, and I'm sure you read it in the news too, those who who uh, came out uh, clean or, you know, those who were arrested at the Polytechnic University or, or Chinese University, um, after they dropped down their Hong Kong ID card number, two, three years later, they they go back and then they they charge them with another violation and then they um, take their, their their passports so they cannot leave Hong Kong. So this is how, if, if you if you lose your freedom to to leave Hong Kong freely, that means you are you are caged in. Whether you are inside prison like Joshua, Benny Tai, or or um, some of the legislators, or you are in a big prison like in Hong Kong, that's the way I look at it. You know, uh, you were talking about people getting their money out of Hong Kong and and these um, finance people not having confidence in in Hong Kong to keep as a place to keep your money. Hong Kong had like this big meeting of, I don't know if it was bankers or or finance people, uh, back in no- last month in November, and the message that they were tr- seemed to be trying to push is that Hong Kong is back. You know, it's 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 a place to come invest again. Do you think that that's actually the reality of what these bankers are saying or or are thinking, or is this just something that they're saying to maybe get on the good side of you know the the Chinese authorities or Hong Kong authorities? Now, start with the regulatory perspective first. In the U.S., you have the SEC, Securities and uh, Commission, right? The regulator. Before uh, all the regulators, uh, the CEO. Um, used to be a non-Chinese because Hong Kong it's a, an international city. So after um, after a few months, uh, Ashley Alder was the CEO of uh, the SFC, the Securities and Futures Commission. Um, there was so-called uh, global search for months. They put an ad in the Economist magazine and whatnot. Right up till now, the the job is still vacant. And I believe they will find someone uh, who is uh, pro-Beijing or um, non, non-Chinese to get that role. Um, and then 
put it this way, the chairman of uh, the regulatory body. Now it's a member of the uh, NPCSC. You don't want you don't want this type of political affiliation. That means you have to kowtow, right? So if I were an asset management firm, a Fidelity or um, Franklin Templeton, suddenly, um, you know, if you want to get certain license, usually you just go through the procedures. You don't have to rub shoulders with um, with the regulator. But then I, I'm I'm afraid that um, the that culture of um, so-called, you know, you don't have to befriend or, as I said, rub shoulders will be changed, will be changed. Um, and then, especially for LISCO, meaning publicly listed company, you know, they, they are many different ways to punish, uh, to, to punish a LISCO. Take a look at um, uh, Jack Ma and some of the other guys in, in mainland China. Um, some of them are party members, of course, right? So everything has to tow along the party line. But in Hong Kong, before it was talking about being dynamic and being, you know, from nothing to making something, right? But now um, with all the different, you know, with all the changes that's going on, I, I see asset management firms, uh, hedge funds and long-only funds, they... They look at Singapore as the place for their regional headquarters. And they're just keeping the so-called operational people uh, in Hong Kong, right? They, if they want the, the license. Um, but but honestly speaking, you know, um, key executives definitely know. And second thing, it's that um, you mentioned about that, that um, meeting, um, with uh, all the so-called leaders come to Hong Kong for like three days, and then they say Hong Kong is back. I don't see Hong Kong is, is back unless, you know, like you have the NSL detainees um, set free because they are the best candidates, honestly, to run for chief executive. That could be Jimmy Lai. You have the best candidate to run for a chief justice. That could be Benny Tai. You know, the, the best people inside DOJ could be Hang Tong Chow, but you just lock them up because of political differences. Even for the youth program, you could have a guy like Joshua Wong, right? Because he understands youth. You don't need all these, you know, like people who who um, pretend to be so loyal to you, <coughs> to she and also to the his doctrine and to um, in order to stay in power. I mean... Hong Kong, it's um, it's dying. It's dying slowly, and uh, it's just not me saying. It's also the pro Beijing guys um, with um, foreign passports. I mentioned, you know, like using how much of your net worth is put in Hong Kong. That's a very good indicator. So in mainland China, they have uh, a law that you can only move the equivalent of $50,000 out of the country every year? On paper, on paper, Matt. They, they right. can move a lot of money. Right, and, and you know, there's there's many ways of money, money laundering and things yeah. that we've talked about on China Uncensored before, like, yeah. you know, moving money through uh, casinos in Macau and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, yeah. But that's, people have been able to do that because 
Macau and Hong Kong don't have those uh, financial exit bans. But is that something that could happen where at some point Beijing is like, well, people are moving their money out of Hong Kong. So now we're just going to restrict that too. If a pro Beijing business person slots for advice to me, it's uh, only five to seven percent of your overall net worth. That includes the real estate. I mean, that includes everything. That means the level of confidence, put it in statistical term, right? <laughs> only the level of confidence is very low, right? And uh, you have to be uh, really, really crazy to um, to put hundred percent of your um, investments in in Hong Kong. Take a look at Lee Kashing, right? Lee Kashing, it's um, it's Canadian. Richard Lee, his youngest son, is um, Canadian. Uh, they are highly uh, divested. I mean, Orange, which is communications company, the real estate, the Husky Oil, and everything. It's um, overseas. But what about for an average guy now? I think this um, emigration wave, people leaving Hong Kong since uh, 2019 has continued. Most people, they have moved to either Canada or the UK. Uh, and if you have a, a British national overseas passport, if you stay there for five years plus one year, you become like a bona fide uh, UK citizen. And in Canada, they have this uh, like stream A and stream B, which is you come over to study for like 16 months and then you can apply for um, for a permanent residence. Uh, and there's no age uh, limitation. So people are taking advantage of that. Now I know a lady who is um, 81 years of age and she came to uh, Toronto to uh, study a not too difficult course. And then she got uh, granted like a stream A. So after 60 months, she could apply for um, for permanent residence. So people are taking advantage of that. But what about Hong Kong? Uh, there are still a lot of people who still don't want to leave. Either they think that um, um, the outside world, because without the proficiency in English, it's difficult to get a job, but at the same time, they want to take care of uh, those who have sacrificed uh, so much uh, of their lives. Because I honestly think that the totalitarian regime, they did they did it all wrong. They should give amnesty to, to all the 200 people plus who were alleged to be in violation of NSL. Just give them amnesty to show they have a, you know, a, a big heart, so to speak, right? Uh, otherwise... You know, people will still think that uh, Hong Kong is like North Korea or even worse. China and Hong Kong together, I think they jailed the most uh, journalists of all the countries combined, right? If you take a look at RSF, the latest report a few days ago, Reporters Without Borders. Yeah. Now, so, but if the Hong Kong government were to give amnesty to all these people that they've arrested under the national security law, wouldn't that just be a signal that, hey, it's okay to protest again? It's okay to criticize the CCP again? And then wouldn't that just like lead to another wave of 2019-style protests? Because they never give us a true voting. One person, one vote without pre-screening. I mean, that was the intention to give Hong Kong people. Well, there is one person, one vote, and that one person is Xi Jinping. <laughs> 
Correct. Correct. So it's not it's not the what we expect, right? So so that's why people people uh, resist uh, the the tyranny. I mean, we we were very uplifted when when we see um, inside China people uh, hold up the blank paper, right? The the paper white paper revolution, but we are not fighting the same thing. Uh, they don't empathize with uh, why we were doing it in 2019, but um, but then you know we have to understand that Hong Kong is Hong Kong, uh, even though you know when uh, they signed the joint declaration. Let Hong Kong be unique, but they. I, it seems like the the puppets in in Hong Kong and in Beijing they don't quite understand after 150 years of having rule of law. Our thinking is different. Our language is different. Our the writing is different. It's traditional Chinese is not. It's not the the simplified. The way they write the word like love, there's no heart to it. So it's different from from the way. We are trained and we are brought up, and then there's some um, national education too. So, next time when we go to um, the FCC, even um, you know, like in Hong Kong, they they only gave us like three years of lease instead of seven. And then um, one of the Lechko, the Exco guys, Ronnie Tongs, was saying that, that uh, you guys better watch out uh, the foreign journalists in Hong Kong, implying that uh, they might not want to uh, re. Uh, renewed at least after three years. I mean, seven years you could plan a lot. Three years is very short. I mean, for the the foreign correspondence club, right? Right. So you're talking about your radio show. You need an FCC license for that. No, foreign correspondence club. Not foreign FCC. correspondence club. Okay. Yeah. There's there's more than one FCC. Yeah. All the, all these acronyms. Yeah. Yeah. So so it seems like the the message that foreign journalists are being given is what you're saying is that like you don't plan to stay here long. I, I think those who stay, they they know um, it, it's different. Of course, the Human Rights Award um, that was um, uh, well initiated by the Foreign Correspondents Club uh, was scrapped last year, and then uh, one university will uh, take up the baton and and continue to have that uh, Human Rights uh, Award. Um, but then Hong Kong, you know, the DNA is different now with a lot of people leaving. Uh, I think what uh, Beijing wants to do is to um, have some sort of a blood transfusion, replacing the original Hong Kong people with uh, ones from from Beijing to make it just like another Chinese city. And they are kind of uh, um, succeeding in doing this. This is like Tibet, 1959, almost the same thing. And it's like the 17-point treaty that was signed in 1951, promising everything other than military and diplomacy. And then they yeah. they change everything in 2019 and with 2020 with the NSL. But with um, with Tibet, that was like 60 some odd years ago. Uh, it's not captured very clearly how they did the genocide thing out of a population of 6 million. But this is a cultural genocide to, to me, honestly. I mean, my recollection from being in Lhasa was that it had essentially become a mainly... Han Chinese city. That is, there was still some of the cultural stuff, and this is 2002, so it was a long time ago, but uh, even then, they had had like, you know, some of the old stuff, like the Potala Palace and the Jokong Temple and like the famous things, but most of the city was like, 
you know, those tile buildings you get in like third tier Chinese cities, it was like all of that. And you had like malls and karaoke clubs and Chinese restaurants and Chinese apartment buildings. Like it was kind of like, like mainland China. And then the Tibetan people were like in the slums. That was like one part of the city. And I guess it kind of like that could be what they want to do with Hong Kong. I mean, they don't want anything symbolic to uh, be present anymore. They talk about uh, getting rid of all the colonial memories. Talking about Batala Palace, right? Isn't it like uh, an aquarium you go to? You have to pay a ticket to go inside. It used to be the most holy place, right? Yeah. Now it used to be. Well, you, it used to be like if you if you went inside without permission, they you know they'd execute you. And and now for like you know forty yuan, you can <laughs> you can take a tour and you know some. Some uh, guy dressed in monk's robes takes you on a tour, but he's probably not a real monk. I so, mean, so Ed, were you referring to like there was something about wanting to change the street names in Hong Kong to get rid of like, like de decolonialize yeah. Hong Kong? Decolonialize, yeah. And also, um, well, they they want to replace the, the also the court system, right? Right now, they they're wearing a, a wig. I think that 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 should um, be taken away soon. I mean, there are. Um, and also right now, the, um, I don't know whether you, you read it, the former, um, chair of the, the bar association, Hong Kong, Hong Kong bars, meaning the, the barristers, not, not going to a pub bar, right? Hong Kong bar association. He was, um, uh, being questioned. Um, that was just earlier part of this year. Yeah. Uh, he was defending Jimmy Lai and then he was being questioned um, inside the NSL uh, police office, right? And in the in the evening, same same day he, he left with his family. So it, it's like threatening people who want to represent uh, uh, Jimmy. So, you know, yeah, decolonize, decolonize. So changing street names, no more, I don't know, uh, the Eccles Street, I think that that could be pretty British. Uh, Queen Street, I don't know. Change it to... Uh, well, now you have to change it to King Street. Okay. Well, yeah. now you have to change it to Xi Jinping Street. Yeah. <laughs> so Emperor Street. Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of symbols, was it last year or the year before? I'm kind of forgetting now that a lot of the universities in Hong Kong just suddenly took down all of their um, like Tiananmen Square massacre commemoration statues and, right. you know, art and anything that was about the June 4th massacre, like all of it disappeared almost overnight. Right. Isn't it crazy? I mean, like Hong Kong equals China now. Like, I, I don't want to say that because last time when we were still uh, talking inside of Hong Kong, uh, we were still like, um, students were still fighting. And to me, you know, as I said, I'm a strong defendant, defendant in the 1.0 model, one country, two systems. And definitely, uh, and I agree with you, Matt, that maybe we shouldn't even think about uh, the two systems exist. But but what can we do like overseas if we still, if we don't defend the two systems? I mean, should I promote like Hong Kong independence? If I promote, let's say, if everyone promote Hong Kong independence, then that that's another problem, because 
I think most people, the common denominator, if you believe it, it's um, everyone should condemn. They are not following the implementation of the two systems instead of saying um, Hong Kong independence. Because I, I find it odd because some some people say that uh, you should build up a military to fight the the CCP because it's not what we get right. But then. With all the people leaving, let's say we have 7 million people, and then if half of the 7 million ended up overseas in the next 25 years, what are we fighting? They change all the street names, the buildings, they already, they rebuild it, right? They take out the crosses, and then it could be another Xi Jinping and all that, right? But what are we fighting if Hong Kong is after, or we want to reclaim Hong Kong, you know, it, it depends on how how soon we can make Hong Kong be like the same old Hong Kong like before. But then again, it could be, it takes another 30 years. And when I take a look at Tibet, it's already 60 some odd years. Um, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, still cannot visit Tibet. So it, it's more than just say yes or no, or how to, how to gain back the old glory. It's something I have to think about very deeply. Uh, and also... What I am doing over the last year and a half, it's um, I'm still telling the old Hong Kong story and telling people that um, they are all innocent. Those behind it, me, these are a partial names of the NSL detainees, not just the famous ones like Jimmy Lai or um, uh, Joshua, but some of the other people too. At least they should be released and and um, and make sense and 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 talk. I mean, the Hong Kong government, they don't listen to to anyone now. They they just want to uh, to score in front of Beijing, you know, score brownie points, but it's useless. Definitely, everyone is uh, uh, it's, uh, fearful of um, the Hong Kong government now. I wanted to ask you about this, uh, Ed, because... You know, in addition to really being very knowledgeable about like the economic side of Hong Kong, you've been involved in the in Hong Kong Civic Society for so long with your twenty forty seven Hong Kong Monitor and just keeping an eye on what what's happening there. How do you see this going down with the with civil society in Hong Kong? Is there still space for civil society? No, everything is dismantled now. All all the groups, um, um, even like. Well, there, there would be only like the pro-Beijing group and, and most of the people that you might have interviewed or talked to, they have left for the UK. Uh, the former um, department head of the, like the Hong Kong, Hong Kong University uh, Law Department, right? Uh, Johannes uh, Chen, he is now in the UK. So these are not the activists. These are like the very mild uh, people with a liberal way of thinking. Um, and then uh, the Occupy Trio, I think uh, Chen Kin Man, not Benny Tai, he is in um, he is in Taiwan now. Um, same as the, the minister, I think he is no longer um, in Hong Kong, uh, stepping away from politics. And even if, for those who are released, like Leung Tin K, uh, who is uh, more really pro independence. Uh, the fishbowl revolution of 2016, right? He was jailed for like five, six years. After he's released, 
uh, no news. I don't know whether he is in Hong Kong or the uh, condition is that he cannot talk to public, but uh, he kind of disappeared, disappeared from, from the limelight. Uh, Agnes Chow, um, she is released, no longer um, in the public eye, so to speak, right? So people keep very quiet. And then I don't see there will be any more protests uh, like rally on July 1st. On the rally on July 1st for the over 20 some odd years, it's just more like a a rally. Of course, people do come out and talk about what they're what they like and dislike about the government, right? It's organized by the pro-democracy camp. That would never happen. Tiananmen Vigil would never be able to um, perform inside Hong Kong again. So is there democracy? Because these are two very big indicators, June 4th and also the July 1st. If they don't exist, that means um, you can never go back to the same old Hong Kong. And if the NSL uh, detainees, they are not set free. If they have to have uh, this very stiff sentences for, I don't know, like 10 years or more. I mean, Hong Kong is not the same. So just like my pro-establishment camp friend, so to speak, friend says, uh, first move the assets. Just put 5 to 7% of your whatever you have, or even less in Hong Kong if you still want to live there. Um, and then, you know, there's nothing need to really cherish once the city is lost. So we are rebuilding the so-called Hong Kong spirit in these um, most populated uh, Hong Kong's, um, where Hong Kong population is. Yeah, in cities like London, Toronto, Vancouver, uh, New York, L.A., San Francisco. So like Tibetans in exile, Hong Kongers in exile. Yes, yes. How do you keep that spirit alive? Well, next year on July 1st to 4th, uh, I should invite you to come to Toronto if we have it hosted in Toronto. We have this uh, World Hong Kong Forum that's kickstarted on June 30th evening until July 4th. It, it's a four-day plus uh, one-evening session because June 30th actually is July 1st, and then Xi Jinping was um, uh, helping uh, John Lee to swear in as the next chief executive. I think we will organize something like that to the, the Hong Kong um World Hong Kong Forum, uh, and then we connect everyone through the internet. And there's real event happening uh, in Toronto, and I'm just uh, planning for the second year. So it's like the World Economic Forum without putting another uh, better word for it, except that we talk about things that that's a, that it's um, important to a lot of um, Hong Kongers overseas, business, culture, uh, spiritual aspect. And um, political. These are the four aspects we focus on. Will you also have dim sum and Hong Kong roast goose? Of course, there are so many Chinese uh, dim sum places in, in Toronto. Um, and then, like wherever you are, you know, if you drive up to Canada, it's um, it's not a, that bad of a drive, and then uh, you can still go back to the U.S. to commemorate the Independence Day. So, what a good deal! Well, let's plan on it. Make it a make it a date. <laughs> Seriously. So, uh, what's it? So you've been out of Hong Kong for a year and a half. Yeah. 
Uh, and, you know, I want to understand what it's like for you being out and, and not really feeling like you can go back because I know that a lot of Hong Kongers living overseas are now facing that. So like, what has that been like for you? Like you basically escaped, right? I, you know, I, I'm not on any wanted list, but they, the Taikung and Wen Wei Bao back in 2014, they, they always write things about, uh, uh, me because first of all, it's the, uh, the umbrella movement, uh, before that there's the Occupy Central started by Benny Tai, Professor Tai, uh, Chan Kin Man, and then, uh, Reverend Chu. And then besides these three, they have, uh, so-called the Chinese media portray us as the 10 martyrs, meaning uh, people from the finance industry, from publication, from education. I, and I represent, for some reason, they we were called the 10 martyrs. So suddenly, Tai Kong and Wen Wei Bao, they, they write about uh, the, the Occupy Trio plus the 10 martyrs, right? But then, you know what? Honestly, what we have done is we are strong defender of the two systems, but maybe that's um, not good enough. Uh, they need the version 2.0, the Rolex version, the fake Rolex version that we, we should um, succumb and uh, abide by, right? How does it feel to be outside? Um, I first landed in Vancouver. Uh, it was lonely because, lonely in the sense that I was uh, carrying the last copy of Apple Daily. I got a stack of it. I I went to Alberta, um, Edmonton, Calgary, and then I, I drove down to other places like uh, San Francisco um, and then tell what's going on. And I flew all the way to Toronto. And I, I did a, a U-shape, actually an O-shape thing just this past summer. I started in Toronto, go down to Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Georgia, just to meet up with the uh, Hong Kong people and then to Texas and then drive down to California and then Seattle, Vancouver, and then go all the way back meeting up with the, those who left recently and then uh, see how they resettle. And then there are scripts too who help people to uh, resettle, some through the normal channel, some through political asylum in to Canada. So uh, for that part, I cannot disclose too much, but uh, we are uh, active trying to get help people to resettle after they, they lost um, so-called the old Hong Kong that they believe in because um, um, they think they think the Hong Kong government, uh, the officials, they they are not up to standard and they betray the Hong Kong people by not living up to the Deng Xiaoping 1.0 model, as simple as that. Well, it seems to me the, the Hong Kong can never return to what it was as long as the CCP still rules Hong Kong and China. Well, that's... Um, that's why some people say um, only the sky, right? Tianmian Zhonggong. I think that's heaven destroys the CCP. Yeah, but then heaven needs to get off its butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know where, but I, I think God, God will make the ultimate uh, judgment. Uh, I, I'm a Christian, and then we work together with the Catholics, and then we have a lots of praying sessions inside churches. Um, um, to pray for Hong Kong, honestly. We pray for uh, Cardinal Zhang um, and people who are uh, Christians, Catholics, or even uh, atheists. I mean, I hope 
they are not they will not be persecuted i mean waking up in fear at like 6:30 a.m. in the morning because that's when the NSL police will raid um someone right um, yeah but but i think that's beautiful you know you've got protestants praying for catholics i mean the ccp <laughs> brought these groups together mm. yeah yeah i mean in unity we i mean same god right like uh, um christians and catholics definitely they believe in in the meaning of um um christ uh, crucifixion as i guess the last word i i want to say for uh jimmy jimmy lie uh, even though he is not free while inside prison he has sketching he did sketchings uh he sent it to um some uh one very well regarded uh commentator his name is uh, lee yi he is uh, 12 years older than jimmy lie and then while uh he was uh, very sick he wrote um he did a sketching of a uh, christ crucifixion crucifixion excuse me crucifixion to um to Mr. Li Yi uh it was very inspiring and then um i think um uh while a lot of people are in prison like um my senior classmate uh Benny Tai uh, we know that um uh even though they are chained but their spirit is still set free that's very important I think that's a good note to end on. So thank you so much for joining us today and hopefully someday we'll be able to meet in Hong Kong or outside of Hong Kong. <laughs> I think that is likely. Hopefully Hong Kong will happen. Right, someday we'll meet under the pot. Yes, yes, under the pot. You know that phrase, yeah. 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 Uh yeah. thanks for joining us, said. Thank you. So I think, you know, one of the most interesting things about all this is what's going to happen as the uh financial environment of Hong Kong changes. Because like I said, said people are moving their money to Singapore, people are getting their money out, people are are leaving only 5-7% of their assets in Hong Kong. Uh because one of the things is that the regulatory environment in Hong Kong, he was saying that there their equivalent of the SEC which is the Security and Futures Commission in Hong Kong is like being corrupted by Beijing. So if you think about what that's supposed to do, right? It's supposed to on one hand it can be used as a weapon to punish companies for going against the CCP. But a corrupt uh Securities and Futures Commission can also uh protect pro-Beijing companies even if they are not following the rules. And like one of the things we saw with this huge Evergrande uh in real estate crisis in China is that there are all sorts of shady things going on with real estate investment and and overleveraging. And the CCP like people knew what was happening, but no one was stopping Evergrande from doing it. No one was cracking down and being like, "Hey, you know you're overleveraged or you know you're using uh money from you know borrowers in this complex to pay for the building of this other complex and because every because the regulatory environment in mainland china is so corrupt you kind of things get worse and worse and worse until suddenly 
big crisis. And you know who got regulated in China this, this summer was the tech stocks, right? Right. Because, but that was a political thing going on. Yeah. And it had to do with Xi Jinping and his whole like common prosperity thing where he wants to crack down on certain companies that have, uh, well, like on the surface, it's about making things fairer for the common people, common prosperity. But he's really trying to crack down on companies where his political enemies have like huge investments in. Well, I think that's a good point, Matt. But um, like, I guess the issue is I don't think the CCP really cares, particularly with foreign investment. Like at the beginning, Hong Kong was very important to the CCP because it allowed the CCP to access global financial markets that it couldn't get into prior to that. But now over the years, you know, they've got Shenzhen, they've got Shanghai, they've got all these other cities that are now economic centers. Hong Kong is not as important. But and, but, and also they've seen the West's willingness to continue to invest in China pretty much regardless of anything they do. I mean, zero COVID was kind of like a, hey, maybe this isn't a great idea, but- But let's do it anyway. Well, now that it's over, hey, let's all put our money back in China. It's a great time. Uh, Yeah, there was something about like, now's the time to invest in Chinese real estate junk bonds. See, see, but Shelly, it's it's, it's always a good time, right? Because when the market's doing well, it's like, wow, it's doing well. We should put our money there. uh, Oh, the market's down? Well, now's the time to buy low. I did say- I did see something about Good point. Bridgewater uh, <laughs> is funding another billion yuan fund yeah. in China right now, Ray Dalio. But oh. I don't know, though, because I think Hong Kong, I think Matt's point here about Hong Kong and it being seen as a less corrupt place to put your money in China, that is going to hurt Hong Kong if that gets corrupted. Because right now, what is it? The... Like, remember the whole thing in between the U.S. and China, like the fight about um, being able to audit Chinese companies? Yeah, the Hong Kong special status for U.S. trade. And the like the finally the Chinese Communist Party basically had to give in because all of these Chinese companies were going to lose. Like they were not going to be able to list on the U.S. stock exchange anymore. And so they finally had to be like, fine, you can look at their books in Hong Kong. So the PCAOB, like the kind of like the SEC, like they went and they did this audit of companies in Hong Kong. But if the Hong Kong environment essentially is not trustworthy anymore, there won't be a place to do that. Because Xi Jinping is a real PSAOB. Am I right? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I guess to if you really want to, if a country wants to facilitate commerce and growth, they have to have a reliable rules-based system that's not just rules-based on the surface, but actually rules-based. Companies need to be able to sue each other. They need to be able to defend their uh, property, whether it's physical or intellectual. They need to be able to reliably have control over their own money and not, for example, have their corporate accounts frozen. So as that environment starts to shift, like it it becomes harder and harder to do commerce. Well, Matt, that's just your corrupt Western idea. And Hong Kong is in the process of decolonization of that sort of horrible thing. And you'll see that the China's- One country, one system. Well, socialism with Chinese characteristics is truly the best model. It is right. interesting how Singapore is the winner out of this. I right? was thinking that. Like yeah. as an authoritarian government, 
Uh, but that one that understood how to let the financial system. Alone. Right. Well, it, it's, I think that, that large corporations kind of tend towards working under authoritarianism. There's a certain appeal to it, right? Which is that you kind of, you can get in if you have relationships with the right people and it seems stable. Uh, and I, I don't think that's right, but nonetheless, that seems to be, there seems to be a big attraction. Like, you know, Americans, we have American values, freedom, democracy, and so on. But when it comes to investments overseas, like we actually don't care that much. And like, we don't care if we get our oil from Saudi Arabia. We don't care if we get it from- Hey, or Venezuela. Or Venezuela, I don't wanna leave them out. I, I think the uh, oil's not as good from Venezuela. That's also, that's actually true. I mean, the quality, but, but I mean, it, it's, you know, and, and where's manufacturing moving to, right? I remember Trump was like, you know, bring it back to America, but most of the manufacturing that left China didn't come back to America. It was only less than 10% of it. A lot of it was going to places like Vietnam, authoritarian country, Malaysia. Uh, yeah, well, right? don't worry. In, in, in the next 10 or 20 years after the great global financial collapse, we'll all be trading Trump NFTs and that'll oh, be the God. only source of economic activity. <laughs> oh. uh, I do have to say that the whole thing with, this is why the, the UN will never be a reserve currency. Like you, what you were talking about earlier, like mm. the kind of environment you need to do stable business. Yeah. Like the, every time, cause like, I think there's been a bunch of panic over um, Saudi Arabia and China just agreed to do more oil swaps in UN. Right. And so people were like, oh my God, this is like, they're cutting the dollar out. This is the beginning of the end for the US dollar. Right. Because dollar, it was always like- The dollar, dollar's the reserve currency. For oil, especially, right? Sure. The, um, the petrodollar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Suddenly that sounds like the petrodollar. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's the thing that people don't understand. What happens when Saudi Arabia gets UN? They immediately convert it into dollars because they can't do anything with their UN. Ah, like they can't do anything except buy stuff from China and right. maybe they don't need to buy that much stuff from China. So, well, I mean, they buy a lot from China. China's their biggest trading partner. China's the biggest trading partner for like a lot of countries in the world. That, that's true. That's not a special right. thing necessarily. But I mean, but... the CCP is making a huge effort to get the UN to be a reserve currency. And they succeeded in one sense was like, like five years ago or something. I don't remember the year, but it was... Um, they got, because the IMF has a basket of currencies they use f that, that allow different countries to kind of trade in these like IMF denominated this currency. And they added the, the yuan, the renminbi, into the basket that included dollars and euros and pounds and I think one other thing. Um, and, now it's, and now it's also renminbi. So, so there's, there's a lot, there's still that kind of uh, yuan creep. Well, I think they 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 want certain things about having a reserve currency. Like they, if they could become a globally accepted currency, then they could break away from the dollar, and then U.S. sanctions, for example, couldn't hurt them. Right. The way that U.S. sanctions hurt Russia, right yeah. after the Ukraine war. Um, but to become a reserve currency, they have to let go of an amount of control that they do not want to. They right. cannot. They're, they're they're pegging to the dollar, which they claim they don't do anymore, yeah, but they do. They're manipulating their currency and they need to manipulate their currency because that is how they control their economy. Right. It's a communist state planned economy. Yeah, People and they that. they cannot 
like stabilize their economy without being able to manipulate the yuan. So they they cannot let go of that. So they will never be able to let it float freely in the market. And then they will never be able to let it become a reserve currency because that's what you need, the ability to buy and sell yuan freely. Like it, if you hold yuan, you need to do it because you think it's stable. And, you know, it's right. just... It's, well, are you assuming that the rest of the world will care about all those important points? Well, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's in their own self-interest. This is not like a thing that's like, oh, you know, people don't care about human rights in Saudi Arabia or something. Yeah. This is this is a thing that like... It actually, if, it actually, actually affects them? Yes. Oh, God. You know what, what I mean? Like, it it's actually not like affects... human rights. It doesn't affect... <laughs> but I mean... You can make the yeah. the argument that human rights does affect this, and a lot of these corporations and countries are just being really short-sighted That's true. about it. But um, th they understand very much how this type of monetary policy like directly affects their own countries. Right. right. I mean, and it's and it's kind of like the same mentality where Ed's friend, who's sort of pro Beijing in a lot of ways, is like, you know. I still am pro Beijing, but also I've now moved ninety five percent of my money out of Hong Kong. I'm pro yeah. Beijing five to seven percent of my assets. Yeah. 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 So I mean, there there could be a lot of lip service on the on the surface about certain things related to the Chinese economy, but then a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not putting my money there. I guess I just don't have your faith in people not making bad decisions. Or I have faith in people making bad decisions. Like Ray Dalio. Like Ray Dalio. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I just, I just, you know, I see a future where, you know, the dollar has been edged out. People become more dependent on the UN. Then something happens in China and the UN collapse. And then you'll all be really sorry for laughing at me for investing all my money in Trump NFTs. I, I saw that where that was going <laughs> towards too. the end. And I was just like, I was like, wait, how is the UN going to edge out the dollar? And then I was like, never mind. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, it was like a slow motion, <laughs> yeah. like train wreck coming. <laughs> train wreck, all aboard on the Trump NFTs. This train's not- They're not calling them NFTs though, right? They're we, calling them like we, digital I've trading I've heard it described cards. as, uh, yeah, like they're trading cards. Just, just for clarity, we are not- Providing investment advice on this. I am. Show. This is the future. <laughs> Thanks for trying to protect us, Matt, from whatever. From being sued or something. For... <laughs> um, maybe yeah. don't invest in that. Yeah. I like what you posted on Instagram where you're like, I could never have predicted this in a million years. Yeah. Like when he was like, last week, he said, big announcement coming Thursday. It was NFT trading cards. Where did that come from? I don't know. Someone sold him on the idea, maybe with the really cool photo, like you know, illustrations of him as a superhero. Yeah, right. But remember also that like he used to pitch all sorts of products back when he was regular Donald Trump. That's true. He had like you know the the he had like Trump Airlines. He had Trump steaks. The best steaks eat them well done with ketchup. Uh, he had he even had Trump vodka, which is weird because he doesn't actually drink alcohol, but like he had all this whole range of like products like sold at the sharper image. Guys, and like, guys are we really going to end this podcast about Hong Kong by talking about Donald Trump NFTs? No, we're not. <laughs> we're we're going to stop now. I just got on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's just the way that we're all like still a little bit in the media. We're all a little bit addicted to talking about Donald Trump. So Hong Kong.
Yeah, help, help us get out of this, Shelly. <laughs> That's why I'm looking at you. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think on a serious note, okay, I think it is the, probably the toughest part for Hong Kong and Hong Kongers is now because it is the aftermath of an incredibly like horrible situation. People are fleeing. They've lost their homes. Mm-hmm. And then they're trying to figure out how to like rebuild their lives in exile and how to keep that Hong Kong alive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, this is something I've actually thought about before as somebody who really can't go back to China for the foreseeable future. Like, how do you leave somewhere and then kind of try to keep that part of yourself or your experience like how do you keep that alive and for hong kongers how do they keep that like spirit that ed was talking about going and the answer is hong kong roast goose i mean that actually is i think a pretty big part of it i remember louisa lim talking about going to this hong kong uh she lives in Australian going to this like Hong Kong movie like uh, uh it was kind of just like like a what do you call it movie festival where it was just like mm-hmm. playing a bunch of like old Hong Kong movies and then she was like she could always tell when the Hong Kongers came in because they would kind of like sit by themselves in the back of the theater and cry uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know things even things like food right I follow this one um food writer on Instagram, Fuja Dunlop, and she was written a lot about Chinese food because mm-hmm. she went to Citroen and got trained formally at, at the like this oh. big food academy that almost never happens with foreigners and things like that. So she was in Hong Kong and she was just like posting every day about all the food she was eating in Hong Kong. And I was just like, it's actually making me really sad hmm. to see that because food is something that really reminds you of a place. Yeah, and yeah, uh, it's a big part of a culture. And uh, actually, the probably the most nostalgic Hong Kong Instagram I follow is one about cats. Uh-huh. It's called HK Cats Daily, and they just post videos and photos of like cats around Hong Kong. Huh. In a really good way, like they're all shop cats or something like that. You oh, know okay. what I mean? Like so okay, because like, you because you had made the segue from talking about food, so I wasn't sure no, where no, you were going. No, like they're just like. Kind of like cats wandering around the street or cats like in an herbal shop, cats in like a like a bodega kind of place, cats mm. in like a different Hong Kong stores. And it was just like, oh, man, that's like that feels like Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. It's like that movie that came out a few years ago about like Istanbul, but through the eyes of cats. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the good thing is that that culture can be preserved abroad like tibetans have been pretty successful at still maintaining a identity right it probably helps that they have the dalai lama really that's yeah. true and there's also like a physical hub right there is dharamsala dharamsala yeah yeah and like maybe like either london or canada one of those places will become more of the center but i mean also like keep in mind like we saw in these recent protests in china that there is a lot of resentment even though it's very much buried under the surface, I'm sure there's still a lot of resentment in Hong Kong, and that will still stay there. And so someday, keep the big dream alive. Yeah, I mean, someday the CCP will fall, and then 
Someday heaven will destroy the CCP. Someday heaven. I remember we'll when we started. Couch and get <laughs> off the couch. <laughs> I remember when we started seeing all those signs in Hong Kong, and I was like, "Huh, that's pretty interesting." Yeah. yeah. So yeah. eventually it'll happen, and then like I think I think a lot of these things can be rebuilt. I mean, the Communist Party has waged a lot of. Uh, cultural and very much physical genocide against Tibetans, Uyghurs, Mongolians, Hong Kong. I think there's a good argument for that term being applied. Um, you mean cultural genocide? Yeah, cultural yeah. genocide, yeah. yeah. And, you know, as long as that culture can be preserved somehow, even if it is abroad, it can be seeded again. Oh, is, this, is this a rare note of hope? Yes. Wow. Let's end on that instead of a train wreck. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been feeling very hopeful since I made the wise investment of putting <laughs> Trump NFTs. Thanks for watching China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelly Chuck. And while I don't endorse this message, I'm Matt Ganesta. Talk to you next time. Bye.